Uh, Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 10, and I'm reading the first 15 verses. Jesus' rather stern words as he sends out uh, the disciples. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, Cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, no silver, not even copper coins. Don't carry a traveller's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Now, whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. And when you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back your blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or to listen to your message, You shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they'll be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. Good morning, Bessels. It's uh, it's good to be back, isn't it? It's good to be back in worship together. Um, Today we return to our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you for those of us over the summer who helped us take a look into the tracks on God's iPod. Um, Thank you for helping with that. Very, very grateful. But this morning we are back in the Gospel of Matthew and specifically the calling of the disciples. Jesus is sending the disciples out. I wonder what would have happened if in Jesus' deliberations and choosing the twelve if he'd have spoken to a modern-day leadership consultant. You know the kind of character. Simon Sinek is the one here, but there are many of them. I'm a sucker for their books, and I've got a stack full of them. Probably the second thing I read most of behind theology. Leadership development, leadership consultants. If a modern leadership consultant had suggested and advised Jesus, I'm sure he would have told them to start with the Pharisees. For starters, they were literate, They knew their scriptures. They were educated. So why not choose them? You know, hire for success. 
go for the people who are already there and, and poach them from other companies and get them in. Instead, Jesus appears to choose ordinary people with minimal literacy and given fishermen's reputation, probably questionable personal hygiene. Jesus' disciples, however, are in good company in the Bible in the whole because the Bible is full of people whose lives are flawed and fumbling and unsuccessful and broken. Let's think about a few characters. There's King David, the mighty King David of the Old Testament, committed adultery, and God restored him. Elijah, the mighty prophet Elijah, who took on the prophets of Baal on the mountaintop, had a period in his life where he crawled and curled up underneath a bush in a deep well of depression and said, God, take my life. Well, how about Moses, the one God called to, to, to face down Pharaoh, the leader of the superpower of the day? Did you know that Moses had a stammer or at least a speech impediment? The Old Testament talks about his faltering lips. And then, of course, there is Noah, here depicted by Russell Crowe in the film. Whatever you make of the veracity of the story, there's Noah, who is this faithful man of God, who, who uh, you know, in, in, in the face of challenge, builds this giant ark on when no sign of a cloud in the sky. But he's told there will be rain and a flood. And it happens. And then the, the, the waters pass, the flood subsides, Noah gets off the boat and he gets drunk and he gets naked. Read it. It's in there. Funnily enough, it wasn't in my fuzzy felt Bible stories. In Sunday school, there wasn't the drunk naked Noah character for the end of the story. But perhaps it's possible that flood survivors struggle. Perhaps depression and loneliness might be a part of living through that kind of traumatic experience. And into this melee of failures and flawed people that are used by God step the disciples, infighting, jockeying for position, suspicious of each other, accusatory, impulsive, selfish, lazy, and disloyal. What a bunch. Let's introduce a few of them to you. There's Simon the Zealot. Simon the Canaanite, he's also sometimes called. Now, Zealots were ultra-left-wing terrorists. Now, I don't know if this applied to Simon, but the Zealot's reputation was for murdering and assassinating those that colluded with the Roman Empire, particularly tax collectors who were seen as the worst of the worst of those colluding with the empire. So who does Jesus choose as his next disciple? Matthew the tax collector. You imagine the conversation in that house over Christmas dinner, can't you? Don't talk about politics there. Then there's Peter, impulsive Peter, who promised Jesus he would never, ever betray him and only hours later denies him three times. James and John, the sons of thunder. I wonder what got them that. Hunt thundercats! Oh, no, sorry. That's a flashback to my youth. I don't know how they got the name Sons of Thunder, but you might, remain, you might remember one occasion when uh, they'd been 
not welcomed at a Samaritan village. You know, the Jews and Samaritans didn't get on. Jesus and the disciples had gone to Samaritan village. They weren't welcomed. They'd had to leave. John is, John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, is Jesus. Call down thunder and annihilate the village, would you? Call down a storm. This is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then, of course, there is Judas, who betrayed him. Flawed, faltering, unspiritual, infighting disciples. My friends, this is good news. This is very good news because it means that there is room for me and it means that there is room for you. One of my favourite books during a very formative period of my faith was this one by Mike Iaconelli, Messy Spirituality, it's called. Christianity for the Rest of Us. I think it deserves to go into a handful of books as a spiritual classic, if, I, if you like. It's a wonderful, wonderful book in which Mike talks about his struggles with faith, his inconsistencies as a minister of a church, his, his feeling of fraud because of his faltering spiritual life. And yet how God has used him and used those around him and those that are like him in incredible ways, despite their inconsistencies and failures. And he says this, Spirituality is not a formula. It is not a test. It is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality. Not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It is about God's being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Amen? The main thing I'd like to do this morning with the sermon is, miss, is, uh, is burst the bubble, that mythical bubble of the perfect Christian life and encourage all of us, as flawed and as faltering as we are, to come out of hiding and to stop pretending. I'll, um, I'll, I'll let you into a, a, a bit of my life. I, um, Friday night, I found myself at home um, on my own, with the sermon nowhere near ready for this morning. And I began to spiral into kind of this, I guess you could only describe it as anxiety, really. The thoughts going through my head is, who on earth am I to get up in front of a room full of people and think that I've got anything helpful to say whatsoever? And, uh, and uh, to be honest, I, I texted a group of friends a group of friends that I made on an XCC a few years ago, and I said to them, look, I'd just appreciate your prayers this evening because it might just be five weeks off and out of practice, but I feel really inadequate for Sunday, and I'd really appreciate your prayers. A 
Friends, sometimes coming into church can feel like walking into a toothpaste commercial. We put on our Sunday faces and we come through the door. I found this quote. Our churches are filled with people who outwardly look content and at peace, but inwardly are crying out for someone to love them just as they are. They're confused, frustrated, often frightened, guilty and unable to communicate, sometimes even within their own families. But the other people in the church, they look so happy and contented that one seldom has the courage to admit their own deep need before such a self-sufficient group as the average church appears to be. I asked Sarah if I could saw this in half. (laughs) We decided against it in the end. (laughs) This is a 15 pound piece of Ikea furniture. If I were to saw it in half, it is veneered cardboard. It is made of cardboard with a wood veneer on the outside. Friends, we often come to church feeling like cardboard, chipboard. And yet, as we walk through the doors, we slap on the veneer of beech, or oak if you prefer, and we put on our church faces. We don't admit that we find this spiritual life difficult, that our prayer life is erratic, that we haven't read the Bible for the last month, and that on the way here we had the most almighty row with our spouse that is going to linger well into the afternoon unless we make up. Friends, let's, um, let's stop pretending. Like Iaconelli once again. Pretending perpetuates the illusion of relationships by connecting us on the basis of who we aren't. People who pretend have pretend relationships. But being real is a synonym for messy spirituality because when we we are real, our messiness is there for everyone to see. Give it a quick plug for home groups. Sometimes on Sunday, you know what it's like. Somebody says, how are you? Sunday perhaps isn't the time to go into, well, I put my back out, I'm feeling self-conscious about weight I put on over the summer, and quite frankly, I want to quit my job. Perhaps that's not the time for that conversation. But part of a small group, hopefully that's a place where we can get behind the mask into deeper relationships and actually begin to be a little bit honest about some of the stuff that is going on in our lives To paraphrase Romans 3.10, none of us are who we appear to be. We all have secrets. We all have issues. We all struggle from time to time. No one is perfect. Not one. I'm always encouraged by this passage. It's at the end of Matthew's Gospel, but I thought I'd steal it for today. Matthew 28, the Great Commission Jesus is sending his post, post-resurrection. So we're post-crucifixion and resurrection. They're there with the ascended Christ and Jesus is commissioning them to go on with his work. And he reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, uh, Did you spot that? 
They worshipped and they doubted. This is the disciples in the face of the risen Christ going, yeah, okay, Jesus, we're in, but we're not really sure now, if I'm altogether honest. And what does Jesus do with their doubts? The best thing, he completely ignores them and just commissions them anyway, allowing them to be who they are. Returning to today's readings um, and the disciples, the 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. And I'm just going to very quickly, in five minutes, go through the instructions. Um, I'm using the CIV, the Charlie Ingram paraphrased version, because quite frankly, it's too obtuse otherwise. But this is what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples very quickly. First of all, did you notice the disciples were all named in pairs? In Luke's gospel, he makes it specific. He sends them out two by two. But in Matthew's gospel, he just names them in pairs. I think his first instruction is don't go alone. Faith was never meant to be a solo endeavor. Faith is communal. We are supposed to be surrounded by people for this journey of faith. It is something we do as a community. So that when one person's faith is weak and another's is strong, we can carry them. And in 10 years' time, when that's flipped, they can return the favour. Faith is communal. We were never meant to do it alone. Secondly, he tells them to go proclaim the good news. The good news that when you die, you get a ticket to go to heaven. No. No. That's not what he tells them. He tells them to go and proclaim the good news, the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. Not that you've got a ticket out of here, but that this world can be transformed by the power of God in the present. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That as we participate in this kingdom adventure, we are part of the transformation of this world. And that, my friends, is how we are good news. Secondly, be people who bring healing and wholeness wherever you go. Bring release to those who are held captive by forces beyond their control. That would be my paraphrase. Be people of liberation, healing and wholeness. Fourthly, travel light. Boy, do we need that in our society today. Climate change, overconsumption, the challenges we face. As God's disciples, let's leave a light footprint on this world, shall we? Let's travel light as we go about our business. Fifthly, seek people of peace. Find those people in town who are open and ready to listen and that want to know about this Jesus and this God that we serve and we follow. I love this quote from Rob Bell. He tries to encourage us to stop trying to take people where they don't want to go. Often we think that is the purpose of evangelism. To try to take people who don't want to go there somewhere they don't want to go. Honestly, it just upsets them and gets on their nerves. So continue to bless them, continue to serve them, continue to love them until they get to a point where they are interested in finding out about why you're loving them and showing an interest in caring for them. And then you have the opportunity, because they're ready to go, for you to share your faith with them. Seek out the people of peace who are ready for the conversations. 
And finally, if they're not ready, we'll shake off your feet and move on. Leave the judgment to God. It's his job, not yours. There you are. I thought I had to deal with the passage. That's my five-minute dealing with the passage. But for the rest of us, I sometimes think we feel like this. From children's letters to God. A prayer. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Love, Frank. Age seven. There are times in our lives, and believe me, there's two years of our lives with four children at home. We can't remember. It was a blur. When 50% is 100% of what you can manage. And that's okay. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel inadequate. Don't feel judged. There are seasons when that's what we can manage. And that is okay. I have friends. This is a true story. I have friends who have a cleaner. We've never quite been able to justify it, but they have a cleaner who comes in once a week on a Thursday. Every Wednesday evening, they clean their house. (laughs) So that the cleaner doesn't think they're as messy as they really are. When the cleaner comes in the following day to clean the house. Sometimes it feels like that's how we approach God. That actually I'll approach God when everything's cleaned up and I've got my whole house in order and then I'm ready and then... Actually, the whole point of the Christian faith is acknowledging the reality of the mess that you are and coming to God as you are in that moment and allow him to do the cleaning. Honesty and reality should be the hallmarks of faith. But it's risky, isn't it? It's scary letting people potentially see us with the veneer removed. This is half the age of that one, but it's real. It's oak and it's scarred and it's got rings of coffee cups on it and it's fading, but it's real. Jesus calls us as we are. Daniel Taylor has written a book, a memoir, called Letters to My Children. And in it, he describes an experience that he had at the end of primary school. He says this. Periodically, the students were taught how to dance. Well, thank God that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. But the teacher would line the boys up at the door of the classroom to choose their partners. Imagine what it would have been like to be one of the girls, standing by the blackboard, waiting to be chosen, wondering if they were going to be chosen, wondering if they would be chosen by someone they didn't like, This is his memory. One girl, Mary, 
was always chosen last. Because of a childhood illness, one of her arms was drawn up and she had a bad leg. She wasn't pretty, she wasn't smart, and well, she was plump. The assistant teacher of Dan's class happened to attend his church. One day she pulled Dan aside and said, Dan, next time we have dancing, I want you to choose Mary. Dan couldn't believe it. Why would I pick Mary when there was Linda or Shelley or Doreen? <laughs> Dan's teacher told him that it's what Jesus would have done. Deep inside, he knew she was right. But it didn't make it any easier. All Dan could hope for was that he was the last in the line. Therefore, he could choose Mary, do the right thing, and no one would be any the wiser. Instead, Dan was first in line. Facing all of the girls, uh, the faces of the girls were turned toward me, some smiling. I looked at Mary. I saw that she was only half turned towards the back of the room. She knew no one would pick her first. Mrs. Jenkins said, Okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away. I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment all at once, was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I had ever seen, before or since. It was so pure that I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm, as we had been instructed, and she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary is my age now. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life has been like or what she's doing, but I like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day at the end of primary school. I know I do. Christ enters the mess of our imperfection, of our flawed, stumbling lives so that we can bring our flawed, stumbling, imperfect lives to Christ. And he calls us. He calls you as you are today. Not as you will be tomorrow. Not when you've got it all right. Not when you're more spiritual. Not when you get this together. But today, as you are imperfections and all and says come with me let's announce the good news of this kingdom together 
Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? When's the last time you read your Bible? Doesn't matter. When's the last time you prayed? Might be a good idea, but today it doesn't matter. Because Christ sees you as you are. Your failings, your imperfections, your spiritual life exactly as it is. And he calls you to serve and follow Don't know where it will go. We'll take the first step. And the road will open up before you. It's not about condoning the failure and mess in our lives. It's about redeeming the failure and mess of our lives. And that is Christ's speciality. As we approach this new season, this new term, with all its challenges and opportunities, we say yes to following Christ, to living like him, to seeking him, to following him, and to do our best to be his hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I should say, if you want to pray with somebody uh, this morning, then grab myself, grab one of the elders, grab Andy, grab Angie, sit on the front row. You know, please come, let's pray together. It'd be a good way to start the new year.